Are the Jazz any better than last year? Can the Suns make a big jump? Is Shea Gilgis Alexander a number one guy? The only question left is say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here. What is up? It is the Coach Nick's NBA Breakdown Show on the Locker Room app. We're only doing Locker Room today, no YouTube simulcast, so this should go off much smoothly, much more smoothly than it did last time. So thank everybody for coming in here and uh, getting ready to chop it up. I really encourage you to request to come in as a speaker. Let's chop it up and talk a little bit about what's happening in the NBA. And I hopefully will be able to give you some insight if I had got my eyeballs on what we're talking about. Um, you know, we've done some interesting stuff over the last uh, week over on B-Ball Breakdown as far as videos go, which is where I've been, you know, kind of keeping my eyeballs. I do uh, want to say that I finally turned on the Jazz uh, last night for my first extended look at what how they looked uh, this year. And, man, that was pretty, pretty ugly. And I know Jazz fans wanted to shrug and say, well, it's been up and down. Some games they look like world beaters and other games they don't. But they certainly didn't do that last night. It was as ugly as could be, and they got just absolutely annihilated by the Nets. What makes it worse is that the Nets didn't really, you know, Kevin Durant is in isolation or quarantining for, uh, you know, COVID. And he had, a, you know, Steve Nash put a really kind of interesting, crazy lineup around Kyrie Irving um, without a lot of the starters. And I'm not exactly sure what he was going for there. Maybe give him some extra run, see what he's got. Well, he's got a lot if that's what it, the result was because they, uh, from the get-go, just dismantled them, ended up winning by 34 points by the end, but it was ugly really quickly. Um, so it was really disconcerting to me just because, I mean, here's the thing. We know what the Jazz are. Um, you know, we, it's basically the same team as it was last year that got, you know, knocked out in seven games in the first round. Um, so – we kind of know what they are. They're obviously better than what we saw last night, but man, it's a really bad showing when you get to that point where they, I, I wonder if that was what happened. They saw the starting lineup and figured, Oh, well, we'll just easily win this because they don't, they're not sending, you know, the, the big guns out, but um, it, it, <laughs> that, that could be what happened, but you know, the, here's the starters and that's throughout there alongside Kyrie. So Jared Allen, who I think deserves to start anyway. I think he's much better than um, than DeAndre Jordan. He's much more active. I think he makes plays better. Um, I just think he's a better fit in the starting lineup for him. So they have Kyrie, they have Bruce Brown, Torian Prince, and Jeff Green. So, uh, you know, interesting. Now, off the bench, they brought in Joe Harris, who was a normal starter. Um, DeAndre Jordan, who was a normal starter. You know, they were missing, obviously, Kevin Durant. So, um you know, it was it was one of those games where just from the beginning. Now, you know, we've seen, you know, I've already, I guess I've already lost most of my Jazz fans, you know, as part of my base because of my Rudy Gobert analysis in the past. So I suppose I can speak freely about the Jazz now without being worried about people railing against me, perhaps. Um, but I, I don't know. I got to tell you, you know, Rudy Gobert has been an issue for them in the playoffs, obviously, because they can play him off the court just because he just can't play perimeter and switch well enough against good teams. You know, maybe for the first round of the playoffs, he's serviceable enough where they can get by. But once you get past that, now, again, the whole thing I've been talking about with the Jazz has always been, well, maybe maybe Jazz fans are happy with, you know, winning, you know, 45 to 50 games every year, uh, being a, real, a tough out in the playoffs in the first round or maybe the second round if they get, you know, hot. Uh, but I don't know. I tend to judge these things on, you know, the crucible of – whether or not they could play in the championship in the NBA finals. So they paid Rudy Robert a ton of money and it's kind of like a, 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 a used car or maybe a new car, right? The second you drive off that lot, the value goes down. And, you know, I've pointed out the issues he's had with his hand, with his hands a lot, you know, and how he, he doesn't you know handle the ball well. And he's gotten better for, without question. So I, I don't want to, you know, diminish the work he's done to get better, but um, uh, you know, it's, um, it's an issue. The hands are still an issue, all right? He still gets stripped. He still, you know, will miss shots close to the basket when the ball is not quite, you know, in his hand firmly. Uh, but it's the other side that kind of bothers me. Now, I'm, not, I'm going to admit I don't watch every Jazz game, okay? I don't know if anybody besides Jazz fans do that. Um, I have to watch the whole NBA. But whenever I've checked in to watch, it's it's a pretty consistent thing where, I end up seeing him not nearly as effective on defense as everybody wants to make him out to be. 
Last night was a case in point where I was just sending clips to it, you know, internally to some people I know uh, versus railing on Twitter about it. But like play after play, Rudy Gobert is getting scored on in the post, right around the rim. He's not being effective around there. And you start to wonder, I know that he's been up there as far as the when they, the, the player tracking stats show uh, defense around the rim. I, I kind of have to be a little bit dubious about all of those things because I really want to see the actual clips to find out how they're ascertaining these things. But the bottom line is, is I, I can see countless plays uh, of guys going to the basket strong against Rudy and scoring over him and around him. And it's really, really frustrating because he's the guy who's supposed to be this guy who gets all these blocks. Now, he might block a couple of those shots in a game, but how many is he giving up? And how much are they paying him to do that? Uh, it, it, it's, it's really frustrating because it's the sense of they're holding, he's holding them back to some degree. And you might be feeling like you're being held back in your business in the same way as you've outgrown QuickBooks and need more analysis than your outdated spreadsheets can provide. NetSuite can solve all your problems by eliminating wasteful spending on multiple systems and platforms as it will give you all the visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need all in one place instantaneously. It would be like an NBA team having me do a breakdown of each and every one of their games finished immediately when the final buzzer sounded. Join the over 24,000 companies using NetSuite by Oracle and let the world's number one cloud business system work for you. NetSuite can show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash coach Nick. So visit netsuite.com slash coach Nick and schedule that tour so you can find more success in your business using NetSuite. I've got a very special guest because first we're going to talk about what we want to do on Sunday, which is bring in Dave King, who covers the Suns for SB Nation and a longtime friend of the breakdown. Uh, we're going to bring him in right now to discuss a little bit about what the Suns are doing because it's been a nice welcome surprise. Maybe not a surprise to everybody, but certainly uh, a nice little start to the season. So, Dave, Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm glad it worked out this time. <laughs> oh, you sound you probably sound better than I do, so that's great. And uh, glad to have you here. <laughs> All right. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I've followed you for years, Nick, so uh, thanks for getting me in here. Uh, my, my pleasure. And, you know, I apologize if I ever took too long to respond to emails, <laughs> but uh, nah. I'm glad that we could chop it up and we have in the past and, and kept me abreast of what's going on with the Suns. So let's let's chop this thing up. Let's figure this out. So we had a little bit of a setback in the last game, but overall, what's what's your grade uh, how the Suns are playing so far? Wow. Shoot. Uh, let's see. So <clears throat> my grade based on expectations has to be an A. I was worried that they would have a slow start to the year. For various reasons, uh, not knowing each other very well and stuff like that. The Suns have most of their, almost all of their rotation from the bubble back when they went 8-0. But the point guard changed, obviously, from Ricky Rubio to Chris Paul. And I thought that might take a little while to gel. But um, they are playing great. Uh, they did have a, a bad uh, first half against the Clippers. Uh, but they almost came back and won that game. Mm -hmm. And that was after being on a, on a tough road trip. And, and Monty Williams said he was worried they would come out a little flat in the first half, which they did. So I'm, I'm pretty proud of the way they look. Uh, will they get better during the year? I think so, actually. Uh, you know, barring any injury issues, the Suns have a, have a big year ahead of them, I think. Well, let's let's go back a, a, a step to go forward, which would be that, uh, you know, it kind of feels to me watching Devin Booker that he's not playing well at all, uh, no. you know, as far as shooting goes and the turnovers. And so, you know, I, I went back and checked because Agreed. I was like, this isn't the normal thing for him. And he's like, I think he, his turnover percentage is twice as high as it normally would be in the past. And, mm -hmm. I, but, and I did a montage because I've I'm, I'm got the video prepped. I'm going to probably do it. Had Steph not gone supernova, I would have probably released the, the video a couple days ago. But um, I did a little montage of their turnovers. And they're ugly, man. I don't know. And so, like, yeah. what is he saying? What is the team saying about this? And, you know, I, I have faith that it will go back to what normally he's used to. But what's going on here? Yeah, Devin's real quiet about this stuff. He doesn't talk about when you ask him questions about it, he's like, look, we're just, I just want us to win the game and just to figure things out. Don't worry about it. You know, he doesn't actually give you a whole lot of insight into, into struggles he's having. Um, to me, it's just him trying to find his place. Chris Paul is an alpha dog, right? He's, he, he's like, he sucks all of the attention on offense 
to himself on, in a good way because he's a point guard. So uh, Devin's trying to find, it, you know, where his niche is on this team. And and the last couple of games, Devin's been a lot better. The very last game against the Clippers, he had eight assists to two turnovers. So he's he just was figuring it out. But uh, their plays are a little bit different. Their actions a little bit different. Uh, the spacing and where guys are, they're, they're going more for three pointers this year than they had in the past. And, and uh, it's just a little bit different and he'll get, he'll get locked in. He'll cut those turnovers right back down. He had a stretch to start off two or three years ago where he had a ton of turnovers to start the year. And then after about two weeks, they just, he went down to back to his normal self. So I think that's going to happen again. That, and that's all reasonable. And then as a result, if he plays better, then I would expect them to, you know, the games be easier for them as well. Uh, yeah. and, and I think what we were talking about as far as gelling with CP3 and um, and Booker, it just feels like Booker needs to become much more of that very traditional two guard, the Clay Thompson kind of role, you know. And I and I think that would really help him a to cut down on the turnovers anyway, mm. but just get him in get him in what he's really much better at, which is like coming off of pin downs, handoffs, you know, uh, you know, uh, spot ups where they could, where Chris Paul could create the damage and kick it to him. Uh, as it is now, I checked synergy, which uh, is pretty accurate on this kind of thing for pick and roll ball handler and right now Devin Booker is using 35.2% of the Suns pick and rolls and Chris Paul is at 32.8 and I would hope that going forward that would at least flip where Chris Paul is doing more of them and then I would just like to see Booker cut that down even more probably and let Chris Paul be the the, the point guard that he is yeah I, I'm only gonna look you know a lot more than I do about basketball so uh but <laughs> I've been watching Devin Booker for five years, um, every game. And I tell you what, he is, what he is, is he is not just Clay Thompson because he can actually handle the ball real well and pass incredibly well. He actually led the league last year or the year before in assistable passes. Um, I think it's oh, uh, the high value passes. Uh, yeah, per, uh, per pass, like the, the, the value of a pass per, per total passes. Um, he, is a real payoff guy, kind of like Rajon Rondo had a, had a rep for for years in terms of every pass could lead to a shot. He doesn't make just willy-nilly passes. However, you're right that Chris Paul obviously is a much better point guard, and that, those numbers should flip. But I think he's going to uh, – Devin Booker is still going to be the combo guard. He's going he's gonna to run point when Chris Paul is resting, mm-hmm. and he's still going to have his five, six, six-and-a-half assists a game this year. So let's talk a little bit about what I would perceive as his jump shot. I haven't really gone completely frame by frame through his jump shot to really figure out why over the course of his career he's never been even sort of average from the three-point line. Uh, is it really just worth pointing out the shot selection over those years where maybe the teams weren't very good uh, that's held him back? Or is there something else that you know that you've been observing? Yeah, that's really interesting. We're all shaking our heads over this because the guy has obviously he, he won the three point contest three years ago. He came in second. He came in third in two other years, and yet in games, even wide open ones, he some he somehow finds ways to clank them. I don't know if it's mental. I really don't. We're, we're all shaking our heads because everywhere else on the court, he's money on his jumper, and maybe it's just in his head. Maybe he's told himself, "I got to make this," and he gets in his own head. Whereas every other shot. He's not so worried about it. Uh, we're all stumped. Wow. I mean, I will throw this out there, having studied shooting for so long, that um, I suspect the answer is the rhythm, is when he's bending his knees in, in, in concert with when his arms are lifting up into the shot. Uh, it, I don't see a lot of the trainers and coaches focus on that specific detail. And whenever I've done that and worked with guys, they look at me like I'm, you know, like a magician because they're like, wait, what'd you just do? I said, well, I, I'm unlocking the natural rhythm that you are just wanting, you know, like the times when you see Steph, look at the other bat, the other bench. He knows the ball is in before it goes in. Mm, yeah. You know, it, it, it's the body senses that rhythm. Well, we could re, you know, create that and, re, and teach the body what you're yearning for on those special shots. And you get a lot more often. So, uh, I would hope, but again, it's been enough time, and you're right, especially the open ones where, you know, you would think over time that he would get better at those. But uh, if he can't get better with Chris Paul throwing dimes to him, then I, then I then I don't know yeah. what he can do because that he the one thing that Chris Paul does amazingly is it's on target and it's on time. You know, much more consistently than almost every point guard you'll see in the league. Yeah, one thing that's weird is the 2017-18 season, talking about three-pointers, he made 38% on the highest volume he's ever taken, like uh, over seven a game. And that was with nobody else in the starting line, in the lineup with him that could draw attention. And since then, he's been at 32%, 35%, and now this year in a small sample size, 34%. 
Um, I don't know. It's, I, it, it, you're right. It's got to be about his balance and his and and just his actions behind that line is totally different than than the rest. He's not. I I don't know, but I I think if he had a a few minutes with you, he might do better off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see. You never know. Uh, Now, let's talk about defense real quick because that was the other piece of the puzzle I was doing for this video. I tried to focus on, you know, a little bit of the defense, uh, corner threes, and then the Devin Booker turnovers. Um, Now, the defense, when you start looking at it from my point of view and you're breaking into it, I'm like, okay, let's go look at the point, uh, pick and roll defense because that's what they're going to face the most, right? And there's clearly clearly a uh, a pattern here <laughs> when you look after at all the the non uh non scores possessions uh in pick and roll and I'll, I'll i'm not gonna put you in the spot i'll tell you what i see and then you can help me fill in the blanks it's basically mikhail bridges on the ball and yeah. just disrupting everything and uh it's really been a revelation i i suspect he's been doing this i know he's got the long arms and he's, he's focuses on defense uh I, I don't remember him being so effective in the years past is that is that the case Oh, Mikel has been <clears throat> Mikel has been really effective since he was a rookie. Actually, it's just that uh, more and more his coach needs to, is is leaning on him more and more to do all this, and he's taking the guys who are handling the ball more. Yeah, uh, the the other half of that pick and roll defense there, Nick, uh, Coach Nick is is DeAndre Ayton. Uh, the two of them, you get the two of them in a pick and roll. Um, defending a pick and roll, and it's I think that I just saw somebody share. 0.7 points per possession uh, they're allowing as as a tandem. So we're going to see some like double picks, and we're going to see a lot of attempts by the other teams not to put Aiden and Bridges in the pick-and-roll defense just to switch out, like uh, get them out of there, and so it's Devin Booker in that action or something like that. Um, it's it's going to be fun to watch, but Mikel, uh, he's been – He's been pretty good. He's getting better every year um, at, at doing this. His arms are so long, Inspector Gadget here, um, yeah. that it's fun to watch him. And, and uh, the more he knows the league, the easier it is for him to do these things. Uh, yeah, there's clearly a comfortability there that's going on that he's making him really effective. And again, uh, Aiton as well has also been a revelation. I had seen stuff from his rookie year where it was like, this oh, ain't happening oof. here. <laughs> defensively yeah. he's um, even shaking his head over his rookie year he did a nice long thing with mike schmitz with espn and he was just like oh man i don't know what i was thinking there <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh you know so he's gotten better it's great to see um you know and for a guy who is like what maybe 22 it looks like he's 35 yeah. uh, so he's aged huh. quicker uh in the league than we than we thought uh the other thing is interesting is because you think w- what's what's going to happen I, and you mentioned it already is uh you know it's weird how in the regular season the adjustments don't happen so quickly as they might in the playoffs but um they're going to simply not run the well first of all you'd say okay don't run the pick and roll with whoever uh, mikhail bridges is guarding but he's they're, they're purposely putting him on the one guy that the team wants to have in that action their best player right so yeah. you would think that they're going to they're going to be able to screen that and force a switch but here's mm-hmm. the problem they could try that but you know they certainly can't do it if it's Chris Paul because Chris Paul is another bulldog out there who's going to cause yeah. problems on the defensive end. So they have some some interesting options here on defense to to disrupt all of that. But I would suspect that that was going to happen. And you're right, they'll probably get Booker's mandate screen first and get that switch and then go into something. But even right, yeah. but even Booker is is busting his butt on defense now because he's not the entire offense anymore. Right, he's kicking butt on defense, and especially when he's on ball. Where you can get Booker in trouble is when he's off ball and he starts ball watching across the court, and then his guy slips behind him. Uh, but when he's on ball defense, he's actually uh, pretty good. Obviously, not Mikel Bridges or Chris Paul good, but uh, he's he's definitely uh, you know respectable. For sure. Well, okay, let's wrap this thing up with a nice nice bow. Uh, they're five and two. A nice start. Uh, they're in the West, which is going to be brutal, but it's also this weird scheduling where they end up playing teams twice in a row and a baseball-like schedule almost. So, mm-hmm. so what do you think here? What do you think they're going to end up with as a record, um, and maybe how far do you think they're going to go in the playoffs? Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out that math of, of on a 72-game schedule instead of 82. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think they're going to be in the high 40s, actually, on wins this year out of 72 games. And I think, I really think they're going to be fighting for home court advantage by the time fans are still are allowed back in the stands, hopefully uh, for playoff time this summer. So that's my thought. Um, and uh, I, I don't see anything to, to take me away from that other than, uh, you know, knock on wood injuries. 
Well, okay, fair enough. I think we're seeing uh, without fans in the stadiums that the uh, home court advantage means uh, very little at this point. So uh, right. that'll be a really radical change if it does happen. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not so optimistic uh, about any of this stuff uh, that we're talking about for as far as COVID, but it does feel like maybe by May, right, they can do something. Although, well, correct me if I'm wrong, fingers. I'm seeing yeah. stands in the, in fans in some of the stadiums already, right? Some, yes, but uh, Phoenix for sure has said nobody is coming uh we're 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 a really infected state here right now so nobody no fans in phoenix but definitely um hopefully if you know if things break right then uh, uh we'll be in better shape by may june yeah. for sure well i'm gonna keep my eyes out this i'm gonna definitely get the video out you know uh we're, let's let's find out what happens tonight against toronto it should be a nice little test for them and then and then i'm gonna get this video out but i can't thank you enough dave for coming on here and helping me uh break this stuff down yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, invite me anytime. Thanks. Uh, and then tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, yeah, on Twitter, I'm Dave King NBA, uh, and uh, also I, I write for BrightSideOfTheSun.com, and I'm on the on a weekly podcast called The Sun Solar Panel. You can find Perfect. me all those places. Love you. All right, thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. All right, so that was awesome. I've been waiting to have him come on for a few days now. Glad we can get that all sorted out and get locker room app on his uh, iPhone fixed. And so uh, that was a great conversation. Love it. And so we'll make sure to be doing this on these shows as much as possible. I love to be able to chop it up, especially because, you know, I love the fact that a guy who's been following teens so closely for that long can tell me that, yeah, in Devin Booker's third year, this happened. You know, the, the context is much more, uh, more rich when you can have somebody who's that uh, that's so familiar with the team. So awesome stuff. And, yeah, I can't wait to get the video out. I got a lot of it prepped on Sunday. And then, of course, Steph, uh, you know, went absolutely ballistic. And I had to do that video, which, by the way, we can talk about that. Why not? And please, if you're on there listening, uh, jump on. I'm on to hear your, ta- your take on Steph thing. What was interesting was that the hard- Harden kind of bubbled up on Twitter a little bit uh, in the wake of Steph going for 62 and breaking, you know, his career high, which is also higher than Harden's career high of like 61, which – Listen, once you're getting over 50-something, I think it's all amazing um, and that you don't need to parse, you know, one point or two points here. But I did find it interesting. It did seem like there was some backlash, like, oh, big deal what Steph did. Harden has done 50 points 10 times his career, 20, whatever it is, um, with, you know, less talent around him or whatever they're trying to say. Um, and it's interesting. It's right. I'm always fascinated by the human nature part of this and how the reactions, uh, you know, evolve out of, um, you know, uh, you know, some a good thing happens to one guy, but that somehow has to, you know, shit on someone on, the, on another team. Um, but meanwhile, you know, the title of the video I was, you know, a, a, slight, a slight troll, even though I did call out uh, attention to the fact that I wrote that he was you know, the, the most skilled NBA player in the NBA. And, we, you know, we we're talking about skill. It's a very subjective uh, analysis here. Like, how do we really rate, you know, Who's a better ball handler? I mean, Kyrie can do this kind of inside-out move, and, and Steph goes behind the back more. You know, there, there's no way to really rate that. Um, and I certainly think that what Steve Kerr said, which I mentioned in the video, was you know some of these guys like Giannis and LeBron are just so uh, physically dominant that they actually don't need to rely as much on skill. That is a fact. All right, I'm not going to say that LeBron does not have skill. He does have skills. In fact, his passing skills are you know unparalleled. Um, but he doesn't need to do all those things because he is so much more powerful and get to where he needs to go easier than Steph, who needs to rely on, you know, subtlety and, 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 you know, change of pace and ball handling manipulation and shot fake manipulation. And by the way, just being able to shoot from 40 feet away, that's an incredible skill. And he does that better than anybody else. So of course there's Kyrie and of course there's Dame. And those, those are the two that came up, especially because we're talking about that position and that kind of body type, I suppose. Uh, because, you know, Harden could also be in that discussion. Harden is as skilled as anybody, but he is also so physically overpowering that when he goes to the basket, guys just go flying and he can finish. And he takes his chances on whether it's going to be an offensive foul or whether or not they're not going to call the foul for him by you know, when he initiates contact. But overall, it works out pretty darn well for him. So. Uh, but, you know, pound for pound, I don't know if what, that's the right phrase to use for this. It's like, yeah, Steph has to be, okay, fine. If he's not the most skilled, call him the second. Okay, fine. Call him the third. Do you want to put Dame in front of him? I don't think you can because I feel like with uh, Steph's shooting, his shooting is better than Dame's. You know, we have the uh, we have the math for that. So that's not hard to ascertain. But um, 
uh, my wife is texting me for the login for our, our spectrum. Well, I'll get, I'll try and get back to her in a little bit. Anyhow, um, this is the fun of having a, an app that you're trying to do a show on, on your phone. Um, so that's the thing I'm thinking with Seth. So if you're out there and you want to discuss this or give me some insight into what you think about why that has to be a thing where, you know, if we have to praise Seth, but all oh, that means we have to, you know, knock, you know, harden. Don't, I don't know if I under, I mean, I guess I understand it to some degree. It also happens with LeBron and like Michael Jordan and anything LeBron does, or we talk about Michael Jordan has to be, you know, knocking somebody else. It's, it's kind of frustrating because it's all, it's all good. Yeah, these guys are all good. They all should be celebrated in their own way. Um, I did want to talk about the um, – I know, okay, we didn't finish the Gobert discussion, so we can kind of talk about that in the, in the Jazz a little bit because uh, – so they came in, they got hammered, and, you know, schedule loss, I don't know. But the bottom line is um, they took the Nets way too lightly, I suppose. But, man, they couldn't score. And um, you have Rudy Gobert out there, and I started to, started to talk about that where what was frustrating the most to me is, like, the things that they're paying him for that he has the most – you know, renowned. And, and by the way, I'm sure he's a great teammate. I'm sure he works really hard. I'm sure he's a coach's dream to have on a team. But um, I'm talking about effectiveness. And I'm going to tell you, I just keep seeing too often, you know, him getting scored on in front at the rim. And if that's really what he's there for and why he's supposed to be so good, then, then maybe that's not really the case. Um, and as a result, it's going to be a reason why they're not going to get past the first round, for instance. Um, now, the other, the other players are, are fine. I don't think the offense is doing them a lot of favors, like generating easier, makeable shots. You know, we have the Mike Conley issue. Um, he's okay at this point in his career, but he's not. I don't think he's the guy that's going to get them, you know, to the next level either. Uh, but again, there is a culture with the Jazz and a kind of player they like and the way they respect the game and those kind of things. And certainly Conley and, and Gobert and uh, Donovan Mitchell, they all, you know, um, Ingles, they all, you know, are part of that. Uh, Jordan Clarkson. So, you know, there's something to be said for just sort of building that and having that together. But the bottom line for me is it's like, uh, you know, Rudy Gobert, you could pay somebody half as much and get 85% of that production. Easy. And that's what the business of the basketball is. And so, you know, I know they want to reward him, but they probably ultimately made a mistake uh, with that deal because they're going to be saddled with that for a number of years, and uh, and they're not going to get past where they are now, which is, again, could very well be their goal. That could be fine for them. Uh, but that's going to cause issues, I'm sure, and friction with Donovan Mitchell, who wants to probably win. Uh, they all want to win, but he might realize that, you know, with, with the way this roster is constructed, there's not a lot of leeway to do move, moves, and uh, he might want to get out of there. Uh, now, Donovan Mitchell might not be the man either. You know, um, he's a, a bit of an undersized sort of shooting guard um, who has struggled with shot selection and, and being able to sort of, you know, shoot at a higher percentage. Uh, but at his best, you know, he is great when he's running high pick and rolls. We saw that in the playoffs where they unlock some things. Um, but Conley kind of gets in the way of that to some degree. So I think that there's a whole lot of, you know, structural issues that Jazz need to deal with, unfortunately, if they want to take another step. But, um, oh, we have someone who wants to come in. Dustin, here we go. Let's, let's chop it up. Dustin, what's going on, my man? Yo, what's going on, Coach Nick? How are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, it's it, all things considered. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I uh, just want to let you know I'm a big fan of your, uh, of your content. Um, I've got a chance to watch some of your breakdowns, and I really enjoy them every time I see them. Well, thank you so uh, much. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I wanted to ask you this. You know, you said, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell is such a, you know, uh, confusing player for me. Um, you know, you said that, he, you know, you feel like things really opened up for him when he's running that high pick and roll with Gobert, right? Um, why does Conley get in the way of that? Uh, isn't Conley like a good spot up three point shooter? Can Doesn't he space the floor uh, pretty well? Yes. So here's my memory of what I was going through from last year's playoffs, which was, you know, the way my mind works, it was like, what, five years ago? Uh, it probably was only, what, a couple months. My, it's so long ago, it seems. But my memory was that, you know, there are times when Conley starts to run the pick and roll and wants to be on the ball. And you're like, no, 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 this is not where they're, this is not what they do well, right? This is, you should be spotting up more. But you're right. He does spot up, and I believe his, his percentages were really good. So I just feel like there are too many moments where Conley feels like, well, I am this role. I need to have the ball too, don't I? And, and, you know, in the playoffs, it was like, you got to limit the possessions where you're not as good as you're going to, you know, your, your optimal, your optimal, you know, options. And to me, it was like, Mitchell should be controlling those possessions almost all the time. So I'm not even 
sure if I remember that right, if it was the Gobert pick and rolls or if it was like uh, anybody else in the pairing. But either way, you know what I'm saying? I think, I think Mitchell needed the ball. So I, and I'm, I was confusing when I said that, but I hope that made some more sense. Yeah, interesting. So uh, that's just really interesting. So, you know, I, I don't think I've ever heard that argument that uh, Mike Conley kind of gets in the way of, of, you know, Donovan Mitchell doing his thing. Um, I feel like, you know, out of all players or out of, you know, I, I, I can't, you know, think of Mike Conley as a guy who just can't, you know, uh, let Mitchell do his thing at this point in his career. He seems like a true professional. Um, what do you think the answer is for the Jazz then? I mean, do you know are you are you going to try to turn Donovan Mitchell into like a full time guy on ball? Like right now, it's early in the season, and I know that they they didn't have like a super long playoff run, but they did go to the second round, and I, and I wonder if uh, you know his struggles continue this year with his um, off the dribble shooting because that's re- what really needs to take a step forward if he wants to earn that extra thirty million dollars on his contract extension. Yeah. Another great point, too. Um, you know, I don't know. I guess I, I might have to defer and say I, I want to see even, like, some more footage now and see how this how it plays out with this current roster. I suppose, um, you know, limiting him uh, on, on ball a little bit more and making him more of a traditional two-guard could could do something to unlock him and maybe his, his efficiency. But I guess it's just something about – the Mike Conley pairing, you know, has my spidey sense tingling. It just wasn't a problem. You know, it wasn't working for me. Now, of course, Conley shoots the right-handed floaters, which in the past has always drawn, you know, I, I start out on a weird note with him because it's so frustrating when he does that. And he actually did one last night that uh, I was like, oh, I want him to hit my head. He might've gotten fouled on it, whatever. But, um, but I, I just feel like that that is the pairing that's not working for me overall, chemistry wise. Uh, you know, it just seems too inconsistent. So uh, I don't know. But you're right because Mitchell is on the hook as well for all that money too. Is he going to be worth it? Uh, and also the problem is, I, you know, I don't think I ever realized this for some reason. He's six one, uh, Donovan Mitchell. Um, he's undersized. Like you know, defensively, that's a tough one, uh, especially if you have Conley alongside him too. So that also becomes an issue. Uh, when they have to get in the deep in the playoffs, just you know, you need you need to be able to defend and be long. And I don't, I don't know if that's the uh, if they have an issue, an answer for that either. Even though their defense has been great right over the past several years, I do feel like their defensive rating goes up, and it does become more of an issue in the playoffs. It, it is so weird to me that you know, like we, you know, not that long ago we were watching like Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell like duel it out like on a nightly basis, like you know, putting up like just gaudy numbers. And, and then, you know, it's regular season and it's just like, damn, like, you know, what happened? Like they, they don't really seem to be able to like dominate the game like they showed they could in the playoffs. So I'm, I'm just wondering, like, you know, what do you think the reason for that is? You know, both of these like young guards are, you know, coming off like really great playoff performances and, and, and now we're seeing that they're, you know, struggling a bit. Um, you know, a lot of things. Certainly this whole season is weird, right? Uh, they didn't have a training camp. They didn't have all the, the usual chemistry building things they would have had beforehand. So I, I'm not surprised about anything happening in this season, right? It's just going to be weird for 20, 25 games until everyone gets settled. So, uh, you know, and by the way, any criticism, criticism tends to be unwarranted probably too for that reason. So, you know, we all get a little excited about it and I'm talking off the handle too. But in theory, yes, we probably should all just give them the 20 games to like have their that version of their training camp through the, in the regular season and then we'll see what they what they're at but um you know it, it, it's th- there's evidence and so we can note it and then wait and see after 20 what happens yeah for sure I, I think you're bringing somebody about to bring somebody else up so uh i'll step to the side and and let you do that i, I do have another question for you uh whenever you get ready so oh yeah yeah come yeah come back in i appreciate it this is great i'll I'll, uh, I'll bring you back in as soon as we're done with nick all right, here we go. Nick, let's bring you on. What's going on, my man? Hey, Coach Nick, how are you? Uh, us Nicks need to stay together. There's not a lot of us out there. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> just want to say I really like your insight. Uh, big fan. Thanks. Um, I wanted to talk about the Nuggets, and I guess related to Jamal Murray, but um, I think in the offseason they lost like way too much defense. Um Jeremy Grant was a really big piece, and uh, Miles Plumley. So I think they're going to have trouble contending this year. And I just think that if they made those signings, uh, they would be in a great position to win. 
You know, the Jeremy Grant signing to Detroit was always weird anyway, but he was going to be gone, right? I think they didn't, they weren't going to pay him what he wanted and what he deserved. But, I, yeah, I think he was really integral because he was a guy that was defending at a really high level, was shooting the three, could put the ball on the ground. He's just a tough player. So that's a huge hole for sure. But then again, I thought, okay, plug Michael Porter right in there, and they won't miss much. And if you look at the numbers so far, right, in the games – you know, Michael Porter has played four of the games and he's averaging almost 20 a game, right? So that's that, you know, and he's shooting really uh, 42% from three. So he's kind of doing, at least in the offensive end, what, what they would have gotten from Grant or if not more. But you're right. There's something off uh, with the team, right? It's not exactly easy to put my finger on it because, you know, it's still early. We haven't quite gotten enough games, but um you know, that is a big one. Now, Jamichael Green was supposed to be another big uh, addition for them, and he's doing nicely, too. So there's on paper, there seems to be something going on that's 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 positive. And I have faith in Mike Malone that he can kind of figure this, some stuff out and, and figure out what's happening and why. Um, but I don't know. I mean, do you have any other specific ideas of what's what's going on with, you know, with, with Murray or uh, or Jokic? It's not getting him enough victories. Um. I, I mean, I, I think Jokic is the most valuable player in the league. Like, just his impact. He's just all he's just all over the place. Um, I mean, obviously, his defense is not the greatest. His athleticism is – I mean, it's improved, but it's still not, like, elite. Um, I just think they would have to lean on Jamal Murray too much, like, to repro- like reproduce what he was doing in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that's reliable enough. Oh, I, and I agree on that. That's going to wear him out to no end. And he's shooting under forty percent. Oh, sorry. He's sh- actually he's actually shooting really well uh, this year. I, I misread the, the column, um, but you're, there's no question that the Nuggets would want to rely on the talent, overall talent, to to create separation early on, where he doesn't have to do everything like he had to do in the playoffs. Um, but I, again, it's also a weird schedule, right? Like they, they lost to the Kings twice, you know, in the first seven games, like, you know, they're, they're playing game, these guys twice in a row and that's just weird, I think. And everyone has adjustments to make. Um, but I, I can't believe that Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic is not going to win them 60% of their games, you know, and be in the top four of the, of the West. It just seems, I, I'm not willing to say that's not going to happen this year. So, um, I just think it might just be a blip. There's a couple of weird teams, right. That aren't doing well yet. And, um, it, it's, it's strange because I, I agree. I think Jokic is, you know, he could definitely be, the, you know, in the top four MVP votes, you know, in that top four or five. Uh, and he's certainly the best passer probably in the league. And he looks like he might even lead the league this year in assists for the first time, I think, ever uh, for a center uh, by per game assist. So um, I'm not worried. I just feel like uh, they're going to figure it out. And um, and they're going to get back where they were. But where they were isn't the NBA title winning team. Right. I think that's the one thing that they're missing that they're not going to get beyond from last year. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just think that. Like Millsap is really a hole in that team. I think he's really regressed. I, I mean, I haven't watched a lot of him, but it just from what I've seen. And as well as Gary Harris, I just I, those pieces. I feel like those if those guys perform to what they were supposed to be, they would they would be easily like a contender. Yeah, and by the way, a contender. I mean, you, we could put them in that category for sure. But um, but yeah, there's something they're not quite there, and there was question. You know, the Jeremy Grant thing was such an X factor for them, um, alongside Michael Porter Jr., who uh, you know defensively isn't going to be nearly as good as Grant yet. Um, and so that's that's an issue uh, that they're going to have to solve. But then again, Michael Porter Jr. does have a higher ceiling overall. So this could be a little bit of a long term thing where you know they're building towards next year. You know, that all of a sudden Michael Porter Jr. could be an all star, and then Jamal Murray could be maybe an all star. Nikola Jokic, you know, they might have three of those guys and then they're then they're right there yeah that yeah they're definitely building for the future yep for sure well uh we'll we'll keep our eye on denver but i can't uh, appreciate it thank you for coming on yeah thanks coach nick all right uh cool and now my i don't know if anyone else's phone is blowing up but everyone is texting me all sorts of swear words right now i don't know what's happening with uh (laughs) this um uh, the electoral college votes, but I'll flip on to that once we're done with this show. But Dustin wants to come back on and let's uh, let's start to, uh, chop it up some more. So, Dustin, what what else you got for me? Hey, coach. So, uh, how much uh, have you seen from Shy Gilgis Alexander this year? Uh, this year, 
Not a ton. The Thunder, you know, they're 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 not incentivized to win so much, and so you know, I haven't really flipped it on. I've seen a couple of random clips of like him, but what am I missing so far? Well, you know, I think the narrative that was being pushed uh, in the off season was that you know, hey, you know, SGA is going to be on ball full time. Um, you know, the coaches are saying we want the ball in his hands, and you know. A lot of people were saying, you know, SGA is the early favorite for most improved player. And I'm a Thunder fan. Like, that's my team. That's who I watch every chance I get. And I just – I don't think SGA is as good as people think he is. That's just, you know, my honest, objective viewpoint on SGA. I, okay. You know, if if Murray and Mitchell are what they are right now and, and we're not sure if they're the guy, right, like – I think, you know, I think SGA is probably like I would put SGA probably like a tier below them as players right now. Um, Yeah, yeah. I I just I don't think he's like a consistent enough shooter. And I don't think he offers like a ton of defensive value. Like even though he's like long and he's got a great frame and everything, he just doesn't seem to use it that well. And I feel like he's always out of position. He's still young. He's in his third year in the NBA this year. But I just, you know, I just wonder you know, if it's going to ever come together for him uh, from a from a scoring standpoint, you know, he he did seem to improve last year. But, you know, he was playing next to, you know, Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, two guys who are, you know, really savvy uh, guards with the ball in their hands and, and you know, allowed Shay to play off ball. And, and and so that brings me to the next question is, you know, do you think Shay can, can be a, an actual lead guard in the NBA, uh, you know, long term? Or, you know, do you see him kind of falling back into like a, a two guard role where he's like more off ball, but maybe has a little bit of creation ability? Wow. Well, here's what I think about Shea. So I, I'm really I've always been impressed with his finishing ability at the rim and his uh, hit the subtlety and the, um, you know, how, how, how shifty he can be getting to the basket and, and the creativity of finishing. Now, the, the the field goal percentages of the rim might not exactly bear that out, that he's amazing at it, but there's certainly enough evidence to show that that will progress and he'll become really good at that. So I, I like that part of his game for sure. The, the three-point shooting, he's got a funky release with a lot, with a lot of airspace away from his head. He's um, got a hitch. And, and, and which is part of the hitch and the two motion shot, which to me indicates that he'll never really be a consistent three point shooter. He was actually a little bit below average last year, but he's only taken a couple and a half a game. So it wasn't like where he is now. He's taking six and he's below 30. That seems to be where he's going to be mired. Now, I don't know how easily fixable that kind of thing is. You know, at that point, third year in the league, you're talking about major mechanical changes, which uh, is doable and isn't necessarily the thing that he should look away from because what's the how bad, you know, how much worse could it get? You know, it's already pretty, you know, suboptimal. But that will be an issue because, you know, if you've got a guy at his size who can who does so well going to the basket but can't really shoot that well, then they'll just sag off of him. And on occasion, he'll be able to use that runaway to get going fast enough and score. But as we see with guys like Giannis, it becomes an issue, too, uh, where they can simply just limit him, his ability and his effectiveness. But I do, like, I do like his passing, and I do like the way he plays within himself to the point where, um, you know, like Donovan Mitchell is the guy who, like, really just wants to score. But Shea is another guy who's more balanced, it feels like, to me. And I, I tend to like those kind of players better anyway. Uh, the guys, they're maybe a little bit more dangerous because that pass could come and you're not sure. And so now you got to deal with two different things when they're attacking. So I think that he could be, you know... Does he have that ferocity, that alpha dog, that fer- you know ferociousness that you'd need from a, a, a number one player uh, on a great team? Like probably not, you know. But could he be the second guy on a really good team? Like yeah. And I think you know for him it's probably the, the notion of you put him alongside a couple of real you know bulldog um, defenders and he can he'll he'll sort of feed off of that. Uh, I kind of want to go back and look when he's playing. I believe he's playing alongside Patrick Beverly in. in um, in, in LA that first year, if I'm not mistaken, I kind of want to look back at some of that stuff and see if that was rubbing off on him as well on, in real time. But yeah. um, I do feel like he could get that. He could tap into that if, if the right people around him are there trying to push it. Yeah. So I'm, um, so I'll say this, um, you know, in regards to, you know, the, the first year he spent in the league, which was with the Clippers, his defense was better, but his scoring wasn't there. 
And then, you know, second year, his scoring was there, but his defense wasn't there. And then this year, I feel like his defense isn't there, um, but he's, like, continuing to, like, progress somewhat, you know, uh, with scoring. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit lower on his playmaking than you are, his passing. Like, I, I, I don't think, like, he's, like, a great passer or anything. I think he's a guy who can make, like, simple reads. Yeah, and, well, that's and maybe true. And maybe that's all you need, you know, but – but I think, like, you know, he has to either, you know, become, like, a really consistent shooter or he has to become, like, this, like, phenomenal playmaker uh, in order to be a first option in, in a lead guard. I, I happen to think of Shea's, like, best role as, like, I think his high-end outcome is that second option. But I think, like, I think practically and, and you know, just speaking from a probable standpoint, I think he's more of a, a, a third option. Uh, yeah. Probably, uh, okay. You know, I mean, I, I I won't argue with that. I could I could see that as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I, we'll see. Those kind of guys that come in so young, sometimes it's hard to know. And then all of a sudden, they, they take a big jump after their third or fourth year too. They develop, uh, you know, almost as if they had gone through like college, and now they're the, a man. So we'll have to see how that goes. Versus, by the way, like versus a guy who played four years in college, you know what I mean, and then three right. years out, we we know what he is pretty much by that point. So I think that there's a lot of other questions with him, and I'm 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 anxious to see how that goes because I've always been impressed by him. I thought he was always you know more polished than I would have expected him to be at an early age, early on. And so if he's been able to achieve that at like during his rookie year and his second year, then there's obviously a work ethic there. There's something there and a talent that uh, could, you know, unlock more things for him going forward. So uh, I'm, I'm certainly anxious to find out what's going to happen with him, but uh, I think his future is, is pretty bright. Yeah. As an OKC fan, I hope you're right. I, I hope he does hit that second option ceiling. I just don't see a possibility to where he becomes uh, like the first option on, on a team. I just think that's too much of a leap for him. For and sure. I just, I just wonder, you know, um, you know, like after we look back on this season, after it's all said and done, like, you know, it, you know, was this too much to ask of Shea, right? To put all this responsibility on his shoulders in terms of running an offense, is it good for his development, or does it actually like, you know, uh, negatively impact him because he's having to like do too much at one time? Right. Um, I hear you. I hear you. Well, I, I think uh, in theory, it's all good. Right, even if it's rough this year, it will eventually be good for him, uh, and he'll develop faster and uh, out of all of this. So that's that's what I would imagine they're they're, they're banking on. That there's no incentive to win at all this year anyway, so they're going to let him just have free reign. And so um, so we'll see. But uh, thank you, Dustin. I got someone else to bring on. But again, great questions, great great chopping it up with you. Hey, thanks, Nick. All right, talk soon. All righty, now we got uh, Daniel. Daniel, what's going on, my man? Daniel, no, you there? Much. I um, I yeah, yeah, I'm over here. Um, I just wanted to jump in on this Shay debate for a second, and then I got another question. Um, in my opinion, with Shay, uh, this season is his first. He's like his first test of being that first option with no other real option better than him. Because last year he was still the first option. He led our team. In, he led um, Oklahoma in scoring um, by you know coming off of those Stephen Adams screens and getting those mid range jumpers or those really creative finishes. And he had a lot of room to operate, especially when he and then it, when he went off ball, he could get those you know get better looks from three, which is why he showed a better percentage, in my opinion. This year he's. Doing a lot more on the ball, you know, he's being a he's he's definitely the point guard, you know, because George Hill was in a run the offense point guard. He's just a uh, he's just a spot up point guard who plays some defense on the other end. Who mm-hmm. is playing this season? But in my opinion, Shea can be a first option in an offense, but the offense has to be one where it gets the ball moving, and two where there are players that are better than him that just aren't better scorers than him. Like, Chris Paul was better, but he wasn't leading our team in scoring. Right. Gallinari was a better shooter, but he wasn't leading the team in scoring. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, I know. I like that. Right. So the conditions need to be right for him, which, by the way, need to be right for everybody. Steph Curry, right? You know, having Clay and having Draymond and having all Katie, all those things. So I could definitely follow that, especially in this point of his career, because I think what you're saying is he's not the like he's just not a guy that's going to dominate. Right. He's going to give him the ball, get out of his way and let him go. Right. That's not what's going to happen with him ever, probably in his, in his career. But if you get him in the right situation where, yes, uh, and I think what you're saying about the ball movement is great because it will loosen up the defense, create gaps, uh, allow him to slither in there. You know, he's really hard to keep for guys to keep in front of. You know, he twists and he turns and he starts, stops and starts. And so just a little bit of gap there uh, can get him to the basket. So I totally see that. Yeah. He plays really shifty. Like he, he also, like his finishes are just so slithery. Is that the you know? It's just he, yeah. he never looks like he's under pressure. Like when he's getting to the basket. So if he can get that jump shot going, especially from three point range where he can get it off the dribble, like he he has this step back. But because he shoots it so awkwardly and he shoots like it's like a ten motion shot. You know, it's right. like he'll shoot it. He'll take his step back and then he'll pull it down. You know, bring it up and then with that really big airspace between it. So if he can get that step back going and he can get it, you know, like Luke has got a weird step back, but it goes in. Watch well, well, this season it has an initial like 15%. Right. But like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a threat. Shays isn't a threat yet. Um, but anyway, yeah. But I, but I think that that's key. I think he has to develop that better. He needs to get back to being a 35% three-point shooter as a threat, but also as a to produce. He's going to have to produce from back there at that position, right, without question, uh, going for, at some point going forward. Like maybe this year, this is be working on it. But, uh, but again, the way he's shooting it and his mechanics – uh, without it, without a significant change, it's not going to happen, right? I, I just, I, I haven't seen it. It would be unprecedented to see a guy shoot that way with those mechanics and that rhythm. Uh, you know, break 31 percent on like on five or six threes a game. Mm. I don't see him taking more than three or four, and I think that that he's definitely not a point guard. He, he's a two guard that will create offense. Yeah. I think I think they're, they're, they're testing him out there at point this season. Because they've got no other option. Like, is George Hill going to run your option? No, he's not. Right. So, you know, they're, they're throwing it out there. But I think their their money is on getting one of the new guys from college this year or next year or even the year up. You know, we've got, we've got time. We're going to lose for a few seasons. Um, anyway, my, my question I wanted to ask is um, about the Portland Trailblazers. Do you think we're overrating them? And do you think the possibility that if they don't get it done this season – that we have to start questioning Damian Lillard's production as a player who has never gone to the finals with teams that have been built around him and should like even maybe go as far as like a head coaching change. Like Terry Stotts might not be the, you know, the perfect lot, the guy. And we also, in the last one, last bit of this question is, do we have to look at Robert Covington as one of the most overrated players in the NBA? Oh, wow. Well, just so you know, anybody else listening, I didn't, you know, reach out to Daniel before the show and say, hey, make sure to ask about the Blazers, because uh, this has been on my mind. This is weird that you're asking this, because I was just talking about this with somebody else last night. Um, you know, the, the problem is a roster thing, I think, most of all with uh, Portland, but there's always fallout from that kind of thing. The roster is ill-constructed, and so, like, the coach gets fired, right, in, even though it might not have anything to do with him. Um, I, Terry Stotts' offense has been the most clever offense generally across the board, you know, for years since he's been the head coach there. I like what they run. I think he does a great job to get those guys in good positions to score. Um, defensively, though, uh, I, I think it's well, the biggest issue to me, honestly, because I, I, the question can be is can Dame and CJ really exist together in, in a backcourt defensively deep in the playoffs? That's probably the, uh, one big issue. But the thing that gnaws on me even more is um, – is Nurkic. So Nurkic defensively is just, he's not going to get it done. He's a, it's a, it's a bad fit. I, he can pass well. He's tough. He can score down in the, in the post a little bit, but um, it's just, I, he's the guy that really, I think is making this thing uh, untenable. So I would try and find someone else that can do, you know, 75% of his production offensively, but who's a much better defender. I think that would really help them overall. Um, you know, Dame, you know, is one of those guys who keeps his, his uh, three-point percentage down because of shot selection a lot of the time, right? Um, and so I, I think he'd be a lot better if he, uh, if, he, if he didn't take as many shots as he does. Um, I think that CJ ultimately is probably, a, you know, is a better shooter, right, and better mechanically sound. 
Um, and then to get to the Covingtons thing, I, I like Covington. I don't, is he, is he overrated? I think he's, isn't he kind of rated the way he should be? I've seen him rated as a top 50 player and that he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. And I used to think that with Philadelphia, but now like he's bounced. He seems to be one of those players that every team wants to trade for, but then after a season or two, everyone can't wait to get rid of. Like, well, that's. He has yeah. short since with Philadelphia after he signed his con like he signed he signed his contract extension with Philly, then got then got moved. Then he signed and um, then he went to, to Minnesota, then got moved. Then Houston was there for what six months and then he got moved. Yeah. No, that that those are all facts. Um and you're right. This year I've been watching him play and I've been like, that's interesting. Like he he got beat pretty easily <laughs> on that, you know. Uh that's that's not supposed to happen, right? I mean it's like the kind of like the thing I was talking about earlier with Rudy Gobert. Uh the things where they're not supposed to happen that happen enough times and you have to wonder. Um okay, so I, you know, the list of top fifty, I guess I'd have to look at it to really figure out if he should be in the top fifty, but um but yeah, I mean, I think obviously he, 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 God bless him. He got paid. That was, you know, he, he deserves whatever he can get. Um, but I think that, that that becomes a ticking, uh, a ticking clock for a lot of these teams, uh, when they're not getting what they need from all of that. So, um, that is an interesting issue, um, with, with him. And so I think that the whole roster is sort of malformed. You got Rodney Hood, who like had done well for them earlier, but doesn't look very good right now. Um, you got, uh, who else do they have? I mean, Ennis Cantor, he comes in, it's like, forget about it. He, he can maybe, if they're lucky, will just be able to score enough to offset what he gives up on defense, but that's, that's a lucky. Usually it's a oh, little you bit. You can't as a backup center anymore. In my opinion, with, with Portland, you just, as silly as this sounds, you know, you, you have to kind of do what Houston did because you can do it way better than what they did. You can get a center who's six nine, six foot ten, long, athletic, who can, you know, shoot shoot the ball, guard the perimeter. Like if Derek Jones Jr. was six nine, he'd be their best option at center. But right. he's six six. Like he, he can't guard centers. He's a bit he's just he's just that bit too much small. So I think like you gotta move Derek Jones because he can't do anything on offense outside of dunk the ball and he doesn't work with Dirkage at all. And then you move, you're going to move Nurkic, you're going to move Cantor, you're going to move Derek Jones, you probably end up having to, you've got to move Covington. Like this team, if they want to go deep in the playoffs, they've got to make some real major adjustments. And in my opinion, you know, do we have to start looking at Dame as like that, all that, you know, like I, I, I've been called as a, a person without with bias against him, you know, but I, in my opinion, if you're going to have a guy who can shoot the way that Damian Lillard can, you, you eventually got to start producing. And he's had teams built around him, per, like not perfectly, you know, but he's had shooting around him at least, you know, like the, the guys that, you know, don't, don't have shooting around them, you know, in my opinion, that's why, why like us with Westbrook, we never really won properly, especially in like the, the 18 year, in my opinion, if we had some, like a decent roster, we would have gone deeper, but like, Dame has had a good roster around him, especially with CJ, and he's had one of the most creative coaches who figured out that drops suck if you if you set the screen high enough, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, they're gonna have. They're, I'm sure they're looking at it, even if it's internally and quietly, uh, about breaking that Dame and CJ up and uh, and figuring out who they're gonna trade or not. Um, it would be devastating to the community. Portland loves both of those guys, uh, and that's all. You know, you got to you got to be a pay, pay attention to that too. Uh, you know, as part of it, especially for a small market team. So, um, yeah, it, it, you're, I think I think what you the, the list you just ran down is it, the entire roster could be overhauled completely, and it is. It's just a it's just a flawed roster completely, and they can cover up some of the warts when Dame or CJ gets hot, but that's not going to be sustainable. And uh, it's too bad because these guys deserve to be on you know even better teams i think both cj and dame do so um you know and then stott you know stott will probably be a casualty as well so i don't be surprised if stott's you know unfortunately he's been it's a long run for him he's been there for a lot of years now uh don't be surprised if he uh isn't coaching after this year or in the middle of this year and Mm. and don't be surprised to see one of those you know don't be surprised if the rumors start coming out about dame or cj getting traded or it actually happens Uh, yeah i've heard um from Twitter a few times from like, I think it was Shams, I think, don't quote me though, um, that Portland has declined a trade offer from Houston that was basically built around CJ for Harden. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wait, but Portland didn't want to give up who? Portland wasn't giving up CJ for Harden. Wow. That's Which fascinating. Is, like, who, who do you give him up for then? Like, CJ McCollum is 
nowhere near the offensive player of Harden. And I don't even think he's better defensively than James Harden is. Right. No, I mean, listen, I, 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 it's hard for me to imagine Portland you know, turning that down. <laughs> um, but then again, they're probably looking at Harden and Dame together and thinking, oh, no, yeah, that, that probably doesn't work. No, yeah, no. That, if you're talking about firepower, it does, but both of them don't play well enough in the playoffs. Right, right. That's true, too. So, well, listen, Daniel, the show is over. Uh, and I, I got it. You know why I have to go is because the United States is completely melting down under some sort of uh, uh, craziness going on at the Capitol right now. So I think we got to I know it might not be as, as important to you, but maybe you're going to watch it as a uh, like like a car accident. <laughs> but, uh, no offense. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So I did I get to that. But listen, thank you so much for coming on. I'm looking forward to the next uh, next show. You'll come back on. We'll talk some more. No worries. All right. Take care. All right, everybody. That was the show. Awesome stuff. Really great stuff. Thanks for Dave King to call in and uh, talk about the Suns and everybody else coming in. Uh, Dustin, uh, check turn on your TV and also great idea, Nurkic for Gobert. Hey, why not? I wouldn't say no to that for the Portland side. And uh, again, thanks everybody for being here. I'll be back again on Sunday at the same time, 11 a.m. Pacific. And uh, until then, don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel for conversation. You in?